right. I'm uh, what we called in semin- seminary a uh, an Elvis preacher. You know, Elvis said, Mama, I just can't help it. i got to move around when I sing. Well, it's kind of hard for me to stand still here, like the professor preachers. So how far can I move and still be seen like I'm supposed to? Am I good here? Uh, how about down there? Okay, we're good. All right. Yeah, thank you. I know where my parameters are, my leash. I am, I uh, don't know about y'all, but I'm getting kind of tired of uh, discouragement. I, I, I just, you know, you, you go to that thing called Facebook, chat, snap, whatever, and it's just, it's, oh, this and oh, that. And, oh, I'm tired of that. So I hope today you get some encouragement out of the Word of God. That's what I want to see. I, I want I want everyone to understand the encouragement that comes from this passage. I have to tell you a story, though. Um, back a few months ago, when I uh, told uh, our brother that I would like to preach this particular chapter because I had preached it several times before, I had no idea we would be where we are today. I had no idea that we'd be ha- having to do the video thing and social distancing. And for y'all, that might be new. But for me, people have kept their distance from me for some time. So there's nothing new about it. But uh, it just goes to fit what happened with Mephibosheth in this text. So I hope you're ready because if you came with some something in your boat, you're going to have to dump it because we're going to load it up today. All right. So first of all, when we look at this chapter, we have to understand that God is in control. See, I think people with this COVID-19 think that God went oops. Did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurs to God? He got it from the beginning. He knew this was coming. This is not a shock to him. And he knew that he wanted to teach his people during this. So keep that in mind. Even now, God is completely in control. Okay, so we start off with the idea of David remembering his friend, Jonathan. Now, I don't know the circumstances, but I have a sanctified imagination. So I'm going to throw a little sanctified imagination in there. David's sitting there and he's he's uh, playing his lyre, right? Playing some music. And he's starting to think about better times. He's been through a whole bunch, as our pastor has shown us, since the whole thing with Saul. And now now he's he is king now. He's he's official. And he's just remembering times with Jonathan. He's probably missing Jonathan quite a bit because Jonathan was killed. But it's very interesting that it says, now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, why would he want to show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Yeah, Jonathan's a friend, right? I had a really good friend not long ago passed away. And I didn't think, well, let me go find, see if there's anybody else in his house. Let me see if I can show them some kindness because he died. Now, we do all know when folks die around here, we understand how to show kindness, right? Uh, casserole dish, nanner pudding on the front porch. You know, we understand how to do, but we don't generally think months, months, months later. Well, what can I do to go show him some kindness? Well, it comes down to the fact that Jonathan had a covenant with David. So let's back up a little bit. If you have your Bible, turn to First uh, Samuel chapter twenty, verses twelve. Verse twelve. Uh, I tell you what, twenty verse eight. Let's start there. Okay, we'll start there. First Samuel twenty.
page is sticking together. Hang on. We're getting it. First Samuel 20. And we're going to start, we're going to start with verse 8 and read on down a little ways. It says, Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is any iniquity in me, kill me yourself. For why should I bring me, why should you bring me to your father? See, David is entering a covenant with Jonathan here. Hey, either uh, take care of me right here or let's, let's see what this means. But Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? See, there was something that had happened between Jonathan and David that was beyond just friendship. And David kind of was not clear about it. He wanted to test Jonathan. So he's saying, hey, if it ain't this way, let's go ahead and take care of this now. He kept testing this covenant. So when Jonathan made that promise, his father was still pleased with David. It was good times, right? It was still good. But then it doesn't stay so good, does it? It starts getting bad. Now, that's the whole thing about a covenant between two people. It's different from just saying that when things are good, we're going to be good. But when things start getting bad, we ain't going to be good no more. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. David knew that Jonathan was still his friend, but he didn't really understand the nature of the covenant between them. So in verse 12, Jonathan is explaining to David what this means. It's good to have a friend like Jonathan, isn't it? Now, mine aren't as nice as Jonathan's going to be here. My friends that I need that are like this are generally, hey, not head. Wake up. I got to talk to you a minute. Okay. Then Jonathan said to David, verse 12, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have, when I have sounded out my, my father sometime tomorrow or the, the third day, and indeed there is a good toward David, I do not send to you and tell you. May the Lord do so as and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I am still alive, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house Forever. Forever. Jonathan says, if I'm alive, you're going to certainly show me kindness because we're friends. But if I'm not alive, then your part of the covenant is to show kindness to my family as long as I live. As long as there's somebody of my family. So now we go back to where we started and we say, okay, here it is. Here is Jonathan is dead. David is just simply sitting there thinking about Jonathan and he somehow remembers the covenant. Now, he didn't have to do anything, did he? He could have just said, oh yeah, I remember we said that to each other. But David loved Jonathan. In a powerful way. And love, if it does nothing else, motivates us to action. 
How many people around here in the last week when the storms came through needed to do something at your house, but you took off and went to someone else's house that you loved to help them? Because it was love that motivated you to action. Sometimes we go to help somebody that we don't really care a whole lot for, but we love them in the Lord and we love them because they're family. So we go and we do. So David jumps to action. Just in case you think, though, that all this so far was coincidental. Let's think about it. David just happened to be thinking about Jonathan, right? He ain't had nothing else to do. Right? He just had a nation to run. Nothing else in his agenda. Let me just think about Jonathan for a few minutes. And then we read on down later. This guy named Tiba was there. And he just happened to be a servant for David and was also a servant for Saul and should have been dead because you see the habit of that time was when a new king took over you killed everybody in the household everyone (laughs) servants anybody who could come back and say hey I'm going to avenge my king's death and so David happened to be thinking about Jonathan. There, he asked a question and there happened to be somebody who had the answer to it. Hmm. Hmm. Nope, God's in control. See what I'm saying? God had this from the get-go. God had David thinking about Jonathan. God had David think of a question to ask. And God kept that servant alive and in the presence of the king so that the king could get his question answered. How many times do we think we have questions that God can't answer because there's nobody that knows them? God is in control. Ain't no such thing as coincidence. God knows what he's doing. Okay? But not only does God, is he in control with this, he also knows it all. Because there's a very important part comes right after this. What happens? He asked a question of the, of, of, uh, Seba, and it says, he says, at your service. Then the king said, is there not still someone in the house of Saul whom I may show kindness of God? By the way, I love that word kindness. You know what word it is? In Hebrew, it's hesed. It means grace. And in case you don't know what grace means, it means unmerited favor. It does not mean mercy. Mercy means God keeping from you that which you rightly deserve. Grace means God giving you those things you do not deserve. It is unmerited favor. And he uses that word twice. He asks the same question twice. Only the second time it is translated a little different. That I may show the kindness of God. That I may show the grace of God. Wow. Now what happens after that? Ziba said there, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in both feet. Hey, can you imagine how that escaped the king? Don't you think he would have known him? Known who he was? Somehow would have known something else? But it escaped the king. He didn't know this. And it mentions he's lame in both feet. And that seems like just this little, okay, a little side note. He's lame in both feet. But remember, we saw him not long ago. It told him how he got lame, right? He was running. 
the nurse dropped him. And the word lame literally means to deform from where it's supposed to be. So he somehow broke his feet or something where they were deformed. It was obvious he was lame. And that doesn't sound too important, but I want to throw this out to you right now. It means he needed help in about everything he did. He was not self-sufficient. He needed help. So what's the king's question? Where is he? King didn't know where he was. David didn't know where he was. And then Sebal said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodibar. Okay. Sounds like a place to go on vacation, right? Lodibar. But I want you to understand that God knows where you are, no matter how low you get. Because the word Lodibar means pastureless or a desolate place. Isn't it fitting that Mephibosheth was in a desolate place? And God knew right where he was. I don't know about you right now, but you might be in a desolate place. You might be so worried about all this. I don't know if you've been laid off or furloughed, or which is a fancy word for fired. I don't know what you've been during this time right now, but you may feel like you're in a desolate place. Friends, I promise you, God does not forget where you are. And chances are he has allowed you to be there so that you can do the one thing you have to do, and that's look for a miracle. Look to him. That's probably why he's got us here. We've been all saying for years, America needs to get back to God. America needs to turn themselves around. America needs to focus on God. Well, what better time than now? And if not now, when? So, it's really interesting to me that Mephibosheth is in a place called Lodabar, and guess where Lodabar was? It's not there anymore. Guess where it was? In Palestine. He wasn't at home. He wasn't in Jerusalem. He was far away. Ladies and gentlemen, we're all far away from God at times. If you say you're not, you're a liar. Okay, just tell you straight. Probably shouldn't have said that because that's going out across everywhere, you said, right? Oops. But you are. You're, there's times when we're all far from the home where God God wants us, and, and we just get so down. Oh, it's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And that's why a few days ago I quit reading my Facebook feed because I'm tired of hearing everybody talk about how bad it's getting. How about go to the one whom we know that can fix it? There's a thought. So Mephibosheth is in a desolate place. So God knows where you are, but he also knows how you got there. We just talked about that Mephibosheth had an accident. Because they were running in fear. He knew fear got Mephibosheth to where he was. And guess what's happening right now? People are afraid. The people of God seem to be afraid. Stop being afraid. I'm not saying you don't have that once in a while. I don't know about all this. But if God could know exactly where Mephibosheth was and what got Mephibosheth there... Don't you think he's got him there for a reason? He knows why you were, the, why you got to where you are. It might have been an accident. It might have been fear. It might have been a bad choice. 
He knows how you got there. But I can guarantee you one thing about Mephibosheth. He did not intend to end up there. He was a baby when he was hurt. Wasn't by any fault of his own. He was in a desolate place. Ladies and gentlemen, we are all there. If you've not ever received Christ, you're in a desolate place. And it may not be of any fault of your own. Yes, you're a sinner. And yes, you've sinned. But you know what? You got that from somewhere. You were born into a world of sin. So this little baby ends up in a desolate place. Here's the interesting thing. He's in a desolate place with someone who didn't give him up. Didn't say early on, hey, Mephibosheth is here. He's Saul's grandchild, right? He was in a place. God knew where he was. And God was in control of the situation. He put him with a family that wouldn't give him up. God's grace already right there. Now, let's go on. He knows where you are. He knows how you got there. And he knows just how long he needs to leave you there. Because, see, some of y'all are a whole lot better than me. Some of y'all get it quick. Okay? But I'm like the old DC talk song. Some people got to learn the hard way. You know what I'm saying? None of y'all out there like that, right? Y'all more spiritual than me. It takes me a bit. I have told you before, and I mean this with all my heart. I think God has a brick. Just like the old metal arc lemon basketball that had the the, the, uh, the rubber band on it. You know what I'm saying? And he's going to throw it and come back. God's got a brick with that on my, and my name's on it. And he throws it, hits me just so it comes back to him. Because he knows he's going to have to use it again. You understand what I'm saying? So there is this thing. God has to leave some people in the desolate place longer than he leaves other people in the desolate place because they got to learn. And I happen to be one of those. So don't feel like you're all by yourself. Why does he have to leave him there for such a long time? One, it's not about you alone. God does not teach you something for you to just know it yourself. The scripture says we encounter various trials. Why? So that we can encourage other people. We can take, keep other people from having to go through what we're going through. So sometimes it's for others. Sometimes he has to leave us there so that we get to the point where we will finally give him the glory for what he's done. I don't know if I've ever shared this with anybody in this church, but I remember being a youth pastor gazillion years ago and um, I was uh, at a church when the first Gulf War started and I am telling you this nation prayed if you don't remember I'm telling this nation prayed there were prayer meetings extra times a week for going to war And when it was all said and done, did this country back up and say, look what God has done. Look how much God has done. He got us the victory. No, you know what they did? Smart bombs. We took them out with smart bombs. We took them out with technology. I don't think God wants us to come to him and pray for him to work and then let's give somebody else credit. What do you think? So sometimes God has to leave us in a place until we're willing to give him the credit and him the glory. Just saying. So he knows where you are. He knows how you got there. He knows just how long to leave you. And guess what else? And this is the good part. You ready? 
He knows how to get you out. He knows how to get you out from that desolate place. He knows how to bring you to where he wants you to be. Have you thought about this for a bit? Just just for a minute? Not only did he know the start of it, he knows how it's going to end. <laughs> he's ready. And he's ready to get you out. Hold your place right there. Turn over to Psalms. Take a right. Turn over to Psalm. Can't find it? You people at home, you can cheat. Bible Gateway, whatever. Just t- type that thing in. All right. Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34. I'm getting there. Hang on. Verse 4. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen. Psalm, Psalm 34, verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. See, here's the problem. A lot of times we try to do it our way. God knows where we are. He puts us there. He knows how to leave us until we stop trying it on our own. And then we look at him and say, I'm seeking you, Lord. I'm looking for you. I need some help. And then he delivers us. Does it say he necessarily delivers us from all the issues? Or does it say he delivers us from the fear of the issues? You see what I'm saying? You understand that Mephibosheth does not get healed. He is still lame in both feet when all this happens. God didn't deliver him and, quote, heal him. God delivered him from the fear that brought him there to begin with. That's pretty amazing. At least it is to me because I'm easily amazed. Sometimes so many people tell me. But anyway, flip over to Psalm 139. Wait, wait, wait. Am I, I'm jumping to have some. I might be jumping to have some. Nope. Here we go. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 2. Oh, just look at verse 1. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. There is nothing going on right now in your life that God doesn't know about. And the cool thing is he knows the purpose even when you don't. So, folks, if you're in a desolate place, you need to understand right now that he knows where you are. He knows how you got there. He knows how long to leave you. And he knows when he's going to get you out and how. God knows it all. Now, here's the other thing. Got to help you understand. God knows it all, but you know a lot. You do. You know a lot. You know what it's like to be in Lodabar, right? You know what it's like to be in that desolate place, that place you don't want to be. You know that you want to leave there. You know the problems you've had. You know the issues you've had. You know the frustrations you've had. You know the fears you've had. And you don't want to be in Lodabar anymore. You want to get from Lodabar. Do you think that Mephibosheth, now, although he was an infant, you don't think somebody told him he used to be the grandson of the king? You don't think he knew he didn't want to be where he was? 
I can imagine as a child, he was probably sitting around somebody telling, telling the story of how his granddad, grandfather was the king. And he's sitting there going, I'm not there. I'm not in a palace. I'm in a pastureless land. You know. You even know why you're in Lodabar. I'm sure somebody told him why he was in Lodabar. But for us, those of us who are in des- desolate places sometimes, we know what God is there. We don't want to admit it all. We won't admit it out loud. We won't tell other people. We will not post it on Facebook. But we want to, we do know why we got into the desolate place. And you might even look at yourself and go, my bad. Yeah, it was. You're bad. That's why you're there. Because most of the time when we get in a desolate place, guess what? We put ourselves there. We did something stupid. I can say that because I am stupid. Okay, so you know what it's like to be in the desolate place. You know that why you are in the desolate place, and you uh, you know, you know that apart from a miracle, you ain't getting out of the desolate place. That it's going to take an act of something greater than you to get you out of the desolate place. These days, the desolate places we're in, we're looking for the government to fix it. Ladies and gentlemen, the government ain't going to fix the problems. It's not the government. It's King Jesus that's going to fix the problems we're in right now. So let's start stop looking in the wrong place. for. Let's look for our miracle. Now, before you go writing Philip letters and telling him that I'm up here saying, it's a name it, claim it, market, park it, speak it to speak it to God, and He has to do it. I ain't saying that. I ain't saying that at all. What I'm saying to you is He is the only one that's going to do it if it's going to get done. So why ask anybody else? Why not just ask Him and then accept what He says? Okay? Just throwing that out there for you. That was free. Alright? So. The question is, the last thing do you know? What's the last thing you know? I can guarantee you I know what Mephibosheth was thinking to himself at one point or another. He was thinking, if I ever get away from here, I ain't coming back. Y'all remember Mac Davis years ago? I'm telling my age, he's saying happiness is love at Texas in my rearview mirror. <laughs> you know, there's some places you want to get away from and be gone. Deirdre and I uh, used to have a have a song we would sing at a certain church we were kind of having issues at it was, Lord, move or move me. (laughs) God, you either do something here or get me out of here. And I'm not looking back. So we know these things. But what's going to happen? How does it work? Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. This is it right here. What happens to Mephibosheth that is so amazing? Uh, Titled the message, Grace So Amazing. Well, here it comes. So first of all, there is still a son. This is verse 3, second half. There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Seba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir and Amul in Lodabar. And the king sent and brought him to the house of Machir, the son of Lodabar, from out of the house of Machir, son of Lodabar, uh, that word, and, from, and out of the desolate place, brought him out of it, come to the palace. What was the habit again of the conquering king over the house of the loser? Kill them all. You're Mephibosheth. Nobody's given you up all these years. 
We know he's old enough to have had a son. So nobody's giving you up. And suddenly you get to a place where you're giving up. What's he thinking? It's done. I'm dead. We're gone. The fear returned. God came and got him out and the fear returned. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? So he thought it was going to be over. But this is just proves that God left him there long enough for him to learn his lesson. Because listen to what the next thing says. Now, when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face, prostrated himself, and said, and David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, here is your servant. Folks, when God brings you out of something, when God brings you out of something, the only response is to fall flat on your face. I know that happened after the tornado this week. I know there are people immediately after the storm passed, and it was calmer. Those people just fell on their face and said, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for getting us through the danger. God, I didn't do it. That's basically what Mephibosheth said. I'm your servant. And David said, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and he shall eat of the bread of my table continuously. Can you imagine him hearing that for the first time? He's thinking, oh, good Lord, Jesus, there is no way. Right? And that's the way salvation is, is it not? You know that you're in the desolate place and God comes to you and and removes you from it. He tells you all the wonderful things he's going to do for you. And then you back up and say, this is too good to be true. Yep. It's right. How do I know Mephibosheth thought that? Because it says he bowed himself. Now, remember, he couldn't have been standing up. Because he was lame in both feet. So he's on his knees already. And it says, he bowed himself and said, what is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Now, I know we don't like to call ourselves dead dogs. We don't like to call ourselves bad things. But listen, listen, if that's your attitude, if you understand that you're not worthy of what God has done, that you don't deserve what God has done, then you can understand grace. Because grace is favor that is not deserved or merited. So Mephibosheth now is understanding grace because he looks at David and says, why would you do this for me? I'm nothing. But you came and found me and brought me out of that desolate place and now you're going to make me part of your family? Does that sound like Jesus or not? He came and got you out of a desolate place, a place where you had no hope, a place where you were going straight now and brought you and made you a part of his family. That doesn't get you going. There's something wrong with whatever makes you go. So Mephibosheth understood that he didn't deserve what God, what the king was doing for him. Who would have ever expected all this kindness and restoration? You know, first time David said, kindness for Jonathan's sake. First time he said that, what would you think? Okay, he's going to say, I'm not going to kill you. You're good. You can go home now. But what did he do? He gave him back everything that belonged to his grandfather. Everything his father was supposed to have. Then some. He adopted him into the family. That's kind of amazing. It was the blessings that were so beyond what he could have imagined. His status was elevated. He got to eat with the king. 
You know, we get excited when we get to go out to a nice restaurant. And um, I will never forget me and Deirdre, we went out to, uh, in seminary. When we got in the habit of seminary, when somebody would hand us money and say, go out to eat on this, even though we needed it for a bill, we would try to do what they ask us to do with it, right? Because we was poor. You know, poor is far worse than poor, right? I mean, we was poor. Uh, I'm talking about hamburger helper five nights a week, okay? And somebody gave us some money and said, go to the Chinese restaurant. We want you to go to the Chinese restaurant. We want Chinese restaurant. And we were sitting there, and I looked over beside us, and I went, Deirdre. That's Ann Graham Lotz. That's Billy Graham's daughter right there. And Deirdre said, we just come from church. Deirdre said, would she sign my Bible? Because <laughs> she had written the forward to the women's study Bible. So I went and got her Bible and I walked over to her and spoke to her. They came to our table and sat down with us. And her husband was so excited because he had been in seminary, seminary with his dad with four brothers. And we had all those cheering, right? And it was just an amazing time. We were so excited. We were getting to eat with Baptist royalty. You understand what I'm saying? It, it was just, just, but this guy gets to eat with the king. You understand what I'm saying? That's an amazing thing. He gets to eat with the king. Now, in case you don't get it like I do, and I only got it after about the 20th reading this time. I got a few things that I didn't get before. Okay. First of all, what does it mean at the king's table? What, 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 what does that actually mean for this guy from desolate place? What, what's it mean for him? First of all, that means he lived in the king's city. You can't eat with the king unless you live with the king. You understand what I'm saying? So he lives with the king and gets to eat at his table every day. Second. He was adopted into the family. You know what's beautiful about it, being adopted into a family? Did you know adopted children can't be written out of a will? Are you aware of that? Only natural children can be written out of a will. If you adopt them, you cannot write them out. <laughs> That's pretty powerful. Then it says, he ate in the king's presence, just like I said. He ate with the king. That blows my mind. And he was lame in both feet. So now y'all got to get this here picture. Bear with me on my sanctified imagination again. First of all, the king sitting at his table. And then walks Solomon. Son Solomon. Just in the robes. Looking good. Sits down. Then comes Tamar. She walks beautiful. Right. Sits down. Then comes Absalom. I don't know if he was doing that, but I, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I imagine he had long hair and looked like that old, well, I can't remember that, that long haired model guy, but I, mean, I could just see him, you know, cause they said how good looking he was. Comes in and sits down. And all the other cheering. And then you hear this shuffle. In the hallway. I used to think maybe he was on a crutch. He can't be on a crutch because he's laying in both feet. So you hear this shuffle of feet trying to slide as some two servants come in holding him up. He's not beautiful. 
He's not natural born. He's not super smart. He's just the one who has been to the desolate place and got to eat at the king's table. Ladies and gentlemen, that's unmerited favor. That's grace. And right now, we all need some grace. See, yeah, you get saved by grace, right? You get saved by grace, but you live by it. As our pastor said, the gospel is more than salvation. The gospel is grace so amazing. It's my chains are gone. I've been set free. Why have you been set free? Why was Mephibosheth brought away from Lodabar? So he wouldn't go back and he could praise the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords for the rest of his days. And he could pass that on to his son. That's amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, this is grace. I want you to turn one more place with me and we'll be finished. I want you to turn to Ephesians, please. Now keep in mind everything we just talked about Mephibosheth. I want you to look up. Let's just start with verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. And you he made alive. That means you were dead. Who were dead in trespasses and sin, who, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also, we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. Ladies and gentlemen, that's America. But there are some of us who once followed that, and now we've stepped away from it. We try to slip back to it. Amen? <laughs> I hope not. Oh, man. We've slipped back to it, but that's America. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and children of wrath, But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He raised us out of desolation and put us in the heavenly places at the table of the king. We're going to get to eat with Jesus forever. That in the ages to come, he might show exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus had a purpose and has a purpose for bringing you out of the desolate place so he can show other people his exceedingly great grace and kindness. That's what he does. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. This this grace that Mephibosheth saw wasn't of himself. He didn't do anything to merit it. God gave it to him. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
Why? Because we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. That he has prepared before him that we should walk in them. There you go. God brings you out of the desolate place, sets you at the king's table, and he says, now show other people. Now show other people. Now show other people. Do the things which I've set aside for you to do. Tell people about the God that you serve. Tell people who know Jesus how to live the life that's about the God that you serve. Are you following? Grace is amazing. Grace is absolutely amazing. And it will change your life. All you have to do is get out of the way. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for the story of Mephibosheth. Thank you for the promise that you can take us out of a place that is so desolate, so empty, and put us in a place that is full. We might not see it right now, but we are going to see it one day. Thank you for all those who are within the sound of my voice listening on the internet, those who are here. And I pray that today will be a day that if they're not saved, they step back and say, I want that grace. And if they are, they step back and say, I still need that grace. For it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.